when you put up too much, you're ended up stuffed and not satisfied. And it's the same with mental health. Don't take on too much and only take on the stuff that is good for you. Welcome to this week's episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of The Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Bia Schultz, who is an ambassador for The Burnt Chef Project based over in Germany. And she joins to talk to us about her career within hospitality, but also the things that she's learned working as a freelance chef around the world in many different hospitality environments. She also gives us her views on nutrition as a certified nutritionist. And she talks to us about her key aims for looking after her own well-being and also that of others. As always, we really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to hear, please head over to our social media pages and send us a direct message. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Lamb Western are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being free potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Hi everyone, my name is Bea. Um, I'm the first German ambassador for the Brand Chef Project. Um, I was born in Germany, um, but was raised on a couple of different countries. I am what you might call a freelancer or a culinary perpetual mobile because I'm uh, working as a chef, but also doing um, recipe development. I'm a certified nutritionist. And yeah, have done bits and bobs in the culinary industry for now, probably, yeah, over 25 years. I'm 42 years in age. Not that that is actually quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, since I'm stuck at house right now, I'm actually studying for the WSET to give myself a brighter profile. Oh, and I'm also one of the rare chefs who's not just a chef. I'm also a pastry chef. I can bake too, and I don't hate it. You've got that cr- creative, uh, creative drive to remain that artistic flair. Hey, on the on the on the pastry section. Oh yes, I'm actually loving it. So my my two favorite sections are actually larder and pastry because I think these are the sections where you can be. Uh, the most creative and you can set and end the tone of any kind of menu yeah I, mean, I, last, I, I just i love those sections it's the last thing that people have at the end of a meal isn't it that leaves that sort of sweet yeah sweet t- other, exactly. than co- other than coffee which is obviously the underrated thing because nine times out of ten you might have like a, <laughs> a banging meal like you go for a four or five course meal and it'll be beautiful and you know your your uh, final dish will be absolutely it will leave such a nice taste in your mouth and then you'll have really cheap nasty coffee and it sets yeah like, it completely destroys everything that happened before it, it you know definitely does so I'm, I'm a big fan of the of a thing that's called uh, coffee gourmand where basically you're having a very very nice just so like an espresso and you have like two or three petit fours matched with the coffee that's something um that started to um yeah establish in the industry probably one or two years ago i'm, bi- I'm a big fan of that but yeah coffee i mean there's a reason that there's coffee sommeliers right now because yeah. you can 
go completely wrong with it and yes ruin a whole experience but as i say the same with desserts like you can have an amazing meal and then you have a dry piece of cake at the end it ruins the whole experience but um yeah with larder it's the same like um, you can set up the tone and get everyone excited about what's about to happen so yeah you can play around there a lot Massively so. And it would be terrible of me not to have a shameless self-promotion at this moment in time. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Tokar, uh, our burnt chef coffee. That I, we just I got why you were why you were mentioning that. One. <laughs> and I'm actually quite excited about it. You have to send me a sample <laughs> so I, I can play around with it, create desserts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I must admit, one of my briefs when I when I created it was to create something that would punch you in the face with caffeine. And this does just that. After two coffees, after I'm, I'm done. Um, you might as well just lie me down and let me twitch in the corner uh, for a bit. <laughs> didn't you? You have you have given up on coffee, haven't you? I had, and then I had this coffee <laughs> brewed. I felt like a bit of a charlatan not to drink decaf coffee when I've got a nice co- sort of coffee sat there. So, um, so you went back to the addiction. <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna have to. Um, I'm gonna have to default back to my decaf afterwards because I'm finding that my um my stress symptoms like my grinding of teeth my shaking and everything else goes through the roof and i I end up not being able to concentrate for about an hour after after yeah i'm i'm there with you i'm there with you completely so usually i'm having one kick-ass coffee in the morning when i get up and after that i only have decaf and if i feel the need to get anything into my system after that it's usually green tea or i'm a huge fan of matcha so um and that that works way better for me than all the strongest pressures well i'd like to touch upon the sort of nutrition and in what you've learned through your your learnings what you've implemented for yourself and also what you can advise others a bit later on but um to begin with i'm just i'm interested (laughs) because you're you've had quite a quite an interesting uh plethora of, of roles within the industry and you've worked You've worked in many different places and many different uh, environments. So I was just wondering if you can give us like a, yeah, yeah I don't know, your top five, top five, because I know you've been, <laughs> you've tra- you're well-traveled. <laughs> I, I loved how you summed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we spoke about it earlier um, uh, on the phone. It's, it's always quite a challenge for me to wrap it up quite short because, yes, I have touched many countries and many places just this morning i counted and ended up with 63 countries so far um that i've traveled i haven't worked at all of them yeah but i'm happy to give you a short um brief overview so um basically there were like two different roles in my life um one of them was a steady job with a steady income um but i would get there in a couple of minutes so i actually grew up in a kitchen. I was raised for many years by my grandmother who was a chef. So um, I was capable to hold a knife and chop properly before I could even write. Um, So yeah, I grew up in the kitchen. But uh, when it came to the point in Germany, when you finish your school, you have to make a choice if you want to go and proceed and uh, finish your A-levels or you go into an apprenticeship. And uh, during that time, it was crispy clear to me that I'm not going to go into an apprenticeship um, and becoming a professional chef because at that age, I had already worked in the kitchen, let's say, six to seven years. So I knew at that time it was 
beginning, middle of the 90s, um, that I didn't want to go into a kitchen and spend six months with basically peeling potatoes. Um, plus, I had to earn money. So, um, yeah, I did what I did before um, because my grandmother was married to a British soldier. So moving around was already quite of a habit for me. So I started to move around. Um, yeah. Um, I basically started cooking professionally because I entered a catering industry that was uh, catering for um, bands and toured. So that was my first professional gig, <laughs> working as a touring chef. And um, from there, I, yeah, I probably toured the world for like three or four years. And then I came to the point where I realized I might have to finish school if I want to proceed uh, at some point in my life, because I knew that it's not going to be easy, especially for women. It was still the 90s and it was still Germany that I was living in. So being a female in the industry at that time was just not really happening. So I went back to school, finished school, got my A-levels and went to university. <laughs> Paid for my university also by cooking. At that time, I actually switched a little bit. So when it was the breaks of university, I toured. And um, during the studies, I scored gigs literally in every restaurant that was happy to take me on board uh, because I had to pay for, for university and my rent and everything on my own. And so, yeah, then that came the couple of years when I had a steady job because after I finished university, I decided it was a very smart thing. Um, <laughs> after I spent six years in university to enter the consultancy business. So I was still moving around and flying backward and forward, but um, with a sort of a steady income. So for six years, I was working in business and IT strategy consultancy for one of the biggest firms on the planet, um, which already brought me very, very close to um, a breakdown because there was actually, there's a lot of similarities between consultancy and hospitality. You always work under a lot of pressure. You have insane hours. Uh, you are constantly getting questioned. Um, is it good enough? We need more of you. We need this bigger, better, faster, yesterday delivered ASAP um, so yeah there were a lot of similarities so I jumped out of that industry to go back into hospitality <laughs> yeah to the devil you know <laughs> yeah at least I know how to dance with the devil in in that industry yes uh, there I know the rules because the one thing that is different is um, in consultancy you can't really express yourself in a way you can in the kitchen like and I'm not talking about the shouting and swearing which is quite liberating sometimes um, but in consultancy you it's like you have to wear the suit and you have to you have to fit the corset and in the kitchen I don't I, I wear my jacket and I feel safe there um, because as I say I I know the rules I know the dance and I can be myself which I could never have been in, in hospitality, uh, in, in consultancy. So, yes, I went back into the kitchen and, um, yeah, literally went uh, for a Champions League. So from there I started to, let's say, I, I reached for the bigger places 
and uh, started to work in Michelin uh, start kitchens. Uh, for example, I went to London. I worked at uh, Dinner Bahastan. At that time, they were, I think, in the top five at the world's best 50. Um, I taught cookery lessons at Le Atelier du Chef. Um, I was working at a private chef. So it was the time when the carousel really started um, spinning. Um, yeah, which left um, a very bad impact, which I'm sure you will get back to later. <laughs> so just to finish up my uh, crazy life. So for about the last 10 years, I have worked and lived in England, um, basically all over Europe as a private chef for two years. I was living and working and actually running a restaurant in Australia. Uh, I have lived and worked in Vietnam for, for a while and in South Korea. And I've literally done it all from private chefing to working on luxury sailboats, um, yeah, working the tweezer business in a Michelin star kitchen, uh, running my own restaurant, um, doing pop-ups, you name it, I did it. <laughs> and which was your favorite so, out of all of those? Like if you had to look back and pick one particular role where you were like, if I could stay in that one, I would do, which one stands <clears throat> out? It would have definitely been Australia. Definitely, because um, what they have there, they, they have really figured out they have such strong uh, laws in terms of your weekly allowance of hours and they have such a high minimum wage. So they're basically, if you're working your 40 hours a week, you have a salary that allows you to live a really, really, really proper living and you still have all the free time. So I've never had so much time on my hands was so relaxed with so much money on my bank account <laughs> and um, still a chef plus, and still a chef yes uh, I, I i love to tell that funny little story when they gave me the contract for um for the hat chef and the contract was stated to 38 hours and i asked the restaurant owner if i'm sharing the position with someone else and he looked at me quite surprised and was like what do you mean i was like 38 hours i I just came straight from Europe. That's what I usually do there in like two and a half days. So how am I supposed to run a restaurant when I'm only here for 38 hours? And he was like, yeah, if you're logging in more than 50 hours, then we are getting fucked by the government. So you better watch your hours, lady. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Have to look at that. Yeah, that was when it, when it dawned to me that that was a really cool place. Plus, and that was one of the things I will never forget. I had the honor and pleasure to uh, work there at a restaurant, Yellow, a place I always loved and adored. And it was so inspiring to work at a restaurant where I'm getting yeah, inspired again, not to inspire others because that's something I love, um, but getting myself plus a proper kick in the butt. <laughs> But yeah, Brent Savage, uh, yeah, Restaurant Yellow, one of my favorite, favorite memories of all time. And of course, yeah, running my own place. That was kind of cool. But everything else, yeah, Australia was cool. And Vietnam would be like 1.5. <laughs> I just loved living there. I love the country. I love the culture. And London will always be a special place for me. But it's because I spent so many years there and some of my best friends are there. Some of the chefs I adore and and highly appreciate having worked with also there so these are probably my 
one, one point five and two. <laughs> and the one that you would, I mean, I, 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 I'm guessing which one you perhaps avoid, but uh, tell, just tell me which one you perhaps not go back to in such a hurry. <laughs> Any place in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's mm, a wrap. <laughs> no, for 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 no, seriously. Uh, no, a little bit kidding. Um, I probably are not going back so fast. I, okay, never say never. Um, right now, I wouldn't go back into tweezer business like Michelin Star Kitchens, but um, things are changing there, and it really depends on how the kitchen and the restaurant is set up and run. Um, yeah, but I would never go back into huge cooperated run Michelin star kitchens. That is something I wouldn't do. Not for all the money in the world. The really? places where basically all you are is a robot, where where there's no room for your own ideas or your own uh, creativity, where all you have to do is this is the recipe, this is the 3.2 grams, don't put in 3.3 grams. I get it. <clears throat> Um, sorry, I get it why um, certain things have to be that way because the customer who walks into those restaurants, they expect uh, certain things and they expect those things for months being the same. But um, it's not the kind of how I work and how I like to work. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I was chatting to Nathan Outlaw the other day and um, he sort of spoke about his views on Michelin. And also there's, a, there's other people like Josh Eggleton at the Pony and Trap in Chew Magna down in, near Bristol. And, you know, these, are, these aren't your quintessential sort of fine dining. Um, I mean, I guess it is fine dining, but, you know, they're, they're not what you would classify as like that pristine, you know, t- glove no, table no. service. Um, so that, e- that... Exactly. There, this is what I meant. Things are, ha- I'm, I'm quite lucky about the fact that things in the Michelin star industry are changing and there's, a couple of young chefs who are extremely creative and who are running their kitchens in jeans and t-shirts and they're still gaining their stars. So these are establishments I would I would go back to. But yeah, not the stiffed apron and stiff jackets and um, yeah, literally putting on the three leaves of time with the tweezers. No. Not for you. No. Not for you. <laughs> so no, not for me. You and I have known each other for, I mean, I don't say it's a, a year, but it's certainly coming Quite up. a while now. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly coming up to it. And, um, you know, so, so much. Anniversary. So been, yeah, happy anniversary. I mean, we, uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the benefits of the Burnt Chef Project is that it, it's, it's a universal language and it does talk to people from, from everywhere, um, despite the fact that you were living in London when we first met, say, so, um, I mean, what may, what was it that sort of drew you to becoming an ambassador for the Burnt Chef Project to begin with? Ah, oh, thank you, thank you for that question. Um, what brought me to the project is, uh, first of all, I have already pointed into that direction earlier. Is um, I have stumbled. Um, ah, no, that's probably an understatement of the century. I haven't stumbled. I was literally, I was on my knees. I went through a very, very bad episode in my life when I, I had a complete burnout. So I literally was a burnt chef. I had a complete and utter burnout. I was also diagnosed with a GAD, a general anxiety disease. I had panic attacks four times a day and it took me a long time to recover. 
And uh, so I am quite sensitive about the topic. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm healthy now. It's um, for, for, yeah, I think something around eight years or something. I'm, I'm healthy and never had episodes again because I am dealing with it. And <laughs> I literally learned my lesson. But I got like re-sensitive about it when I was living in Australia because um, Australia is a country that is quite verbal and uh, open about the topic. And every year when it starts um, getting um, autumn, so when it sort of gets dark and gray, um, they have the Mental Health Awareness Month and they are going in big like every every poster every bus every underground every second commercial is uh, run by a big uh, government funded um, campaign that is called are you okay written are you and okay Mm -hmm. and the subletter it's okay not to be okay so they're literally throwing it in your face. Like, are you okay? It's getting dark. It's it's the time when all of the tourists are leaving and uh, many people are dealing with the fact that they are not having the income they are having like a couple of months before, especially when you're living in a tourist area. Like incomes there are, are pendulum a lot. So that was when I was like, okay, that is kind of cool. It's... Um, impressed me that they are that open and and verbal about the whole conversation and about the whole topic and um, because I'm always one of the chefs who is looking out for the crew for me it's always my crew comes first Um, so I'm also having a very very um, open conversation at every restaurant I've worked or run a crew um, like guys you can talk to me whatever it is so when I saw that big campaign I started thinking if there might be anything like it uh, in Europe. So I just started to research because it was something I was always curious to sort of get into because I went through it myself and I know that there is a lot of stigma still going on. And that is still one of the topics which people like to keep under the carpet, like don't talk about it, then it doesn't exist. Mm. So yeah, this is how I stumbled across you guys because I wanted to get into it and maybe help or inspire other people by telling them um, my story and sharing all of my experiences. And this is how I found you guys. And I actually found you, I I think just a couple of weeks after you started. early early I realized joiner. that the other day yeah yeah pretty early joiner <laughs> I, I think your Instagram account had a couple of hundred followers when I followed <laughs> yeah it's, uh, seems ages ago now doesn't it really yeah it's it's so weird um but yeah so as I say this is when I was like okay this is really cool and it's back in Europe um, so I just followed you guys and then um, I had to move back uh, to Europe, sadly. And that was for me the point where I was like, okay, now uh, let's do this. I have time on my hands and I have a lot of experience and um, a lot of stories to share. Um, so let's just partner up with them. And you've, Plus you've... there's nothing comparable like it here in Germany. No, no. I mean, it's something sadly. That's... Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky one. We, we, I mean, we regularly get messages from other countries about how to set up different chapters, and it's, yeah, I physically and mentally don't know how. 
um, other than just saying that the the branding is is worldwide, it's it's international. So, you know, by having people like yourself as ambassadors who will join us on wellbeing chats and calls and help and aid other people, I think, you know, there doesn't necessarily need to be other chapters. You are representing the other other sort of. I mean, you're representing Germany and whoop, whoop. <laughs> and pushing the word out there. Yeah. So it's, the, it's been... the sad country needs something like that right now. <laughs> I know, I know. I think, well, I think <laughs> one th we're we're united in the fact that we're we are all sharing this heightened level of anxiety and grief, and you know, hospitality is getting shafted everywhere, um, irrespective yeah. of what country you're in. Really, I think. Yeah, but I, I really think some countries have figured this whole shit show out better than others. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've got a mate over in Australia who's still working at the moment, so the hospitality over in Australia seems to be. <laughs> I think he's over in Noosa. They're 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 actually doing doing quite well um, because um, the government is quite strict in Australia, and um, the the people have realised um, that this is not a joke. This is not this is not a flu, and so I, it just was like I, I think two weeks ago when there were like two or three cases popped up in Perth, and they put the whole area locked down for two weeks. And people are used to that right now, so it does work. So for two weeks, they are shutting everything down so that those three cases don't become 500 cases. And after that, everything is open again. And everyone follows the rules. Mm. So the whole country is open. They are having concerts. People are going to restaurants. I mean, the whole country is open. You can't enter the country, literally. Um, but yeah, hospitality is doing fine because the complete lockdown was only a couple of weeks, let's say two months. Um, and the government did support um, the industry, hmm. um, despite of what was uh, flying around in the media. But I have so many co-workers and so many former colleagues I still am in contact with. So all of them are quite fine. And yeah, uh, yeah like you can go to a restaurant, uh, you, you can have fun, you can basically live your life like Traveling, especially international traveling, is quite a challenge, but that is quite a challenge on the whole planet right now. Um, but that is it. You, you can't, but you can still travel in the country, and the country is huge. I mean, the country is bigger than all of Europe plus half of Russia, so you still have plenty of space to travel. Plenty of room to avoid people if you need to. <laughs> plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of things to discover also. Yeah, so they have figured it out. Yeah, well, let's hope. I mean, we just had a... So at the date of recording, it's the 23rd of February today, so I don't know when this episode will air, but we had our announcement yesterday to say that they're going to slowly mm. start to release the breaks on hospitality, still keeping us yeah. completely separate from non-essential retail, which is, I don't know, that's a whole subject for a different day. But um, <coughs> weeks. <It's laughs> I mean, yeah, it's been, weeks. it's been proven that like two or three percent of, uh, of COVID cases have been directly contributed to by hospitality which is a, a very very small minute number um yet exactly. we're still being still being treated with those with the oven mitts on like we're a flaming hot potato you know and it's it's <laughs> but thank so, you for that image in my hat now i i will use that one in germany <laughs> well yeah that's it it's like you know say hopefully hopefully say la is the last time we can do it um you know yeah uh, but as my, my dear uh, colleague Adam said the other day, um, 
you, you've probably seen it, his announcement, uh, I think it was on Sky, Adam Handling, um, because he just pointed out something that most people seem to forget. If hospitality reopens, it needs to be like the final thing because no one can afford to reopen again. And like, like in December, like you reopen again and two weeks later, you're shut down again. Um, it's just not working like that. I saw that actually. I sent him a message last night because it was yesterday that that post went live, and uh, I just sent him a message saying, you know, well said, eloquently put, because he was estimating yeah. it was costing him thirty thousand pounds of wasted <laughs> stock. And, and he cost. he is an excellent spokesperson. He just comes across very well, very eloquently, and uh, yeah, I had to message him. He's last just night yeah, after. he's literally hitting the nail on the hat. Like there's no right, left. There's just straightforward. This is what it is, and uh, yeah, he he sums it up pretty well. Um, Plus, he's a brilliant chef. I have to say, I, I quite adore him. I was lucky enough to sit right at the front, right at the front, almost at chef's table, and well, I was at chef's table, I guess, and and just watch the interactions between the staff and how things were handled. And <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's scenes like that that always have me in awe of hospitality and, and how well you know. It, it's yeah, a- he he's a very he's a very amazing example of how to um, build and lead. Yeah, build and lead um, a restaurant the way he encourages his, his his staff and his crew, and he really, really um, takes care of them. And, and I think until today, he didn't have to to leave anyone because he set up Haim and everything. So he's a very good example of um, how to adapt and how to deal. But also, yeah, the way he encourages um, like his staff to like take responsibility and everything. He's he's just amazing. Move, <laughs> moving on before, before we end up mass, <laughs> massaging too many egos. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I talked to, I mean, this whole podcast is about openly discussing sort of where we found ourselves in certain points in our life. And you've spoken about GAD and um, and panic attacks. I mean, what was it that you think that yeah. led, you, led you to, you know, to experiencing such uh, issues with your mental health? Um, so what... I do know what what led to it uh, in my specific case, and that was, as it always is uh, in my experience, it's always a combination of various factors. Um, So in my specific case, it was the um, constantly being under an insane amount of pressure, not enough time for myself. And the constantly questioning yourself, the quality of your work, but also um, the questioning of others of of your work and and the quality you're putting out. Because it is what it is, and that was my specific case, Um, in whatever kind of job you are, when you are constantly getting questioned, like, is that everything you can do? Is that the best you can come up with? and in my case, in the combination with that I'm a not that shitty looking girl, um, where everyone or every second at least is usually guessing that I am at the position I am uh, because I am pretty. So no one takes it really serious. So I always had to work even harder than anyone else. Um, so that was what brought me down in the end, the combination of everything, like questioning yourself, a lot of pressure and what I have learned as the most important thing, the not having enough time to yourself and looking after yourself because I never did that. I, I was I was at the end of the 20s, beginning of the 30s, the time when you want to, you're literally throwing everything into it and, and you really want to come forward and and 
you maybe want to make career or not. You want to climb up the ladder or not. Um, but yeah, that was uh, what broke me, the combination of everything. And uh, yeah, as I say, I, I paid my dues and uh, learned my lessons from that and holding on to certain strategies um, because I was lucky enough after I left the clinic to score in excellent therapist which i worked with for over a year so i have learned certain uh tools that i'm sharing now whenever i realize that someone is struggling or is on the edge or starts to struggle then i i try to share that knowledge and um yeah encourage them to be open about it and talk if not to me to anyone because that's usually um, the first step, open up a conversation. What was, the, what was the first telltale signs? I mean, looking back, what, what would you have recognized now as perhaps the first telltale signs that you were starting to take a dip with regards to your well-being? Um, the first signs, uh, that was it for me, and that is that uh, I'm still very sensitive until today. The first signs were that I didn't sleep or I had major issues with um, not just falling asleep because sometimes you're so exhausted you're just dropping dead but I never slept completely through a night so I had yeah huge trouble uh, with uh, sleeping and from that um, the spiral just started because when you're not rested you're not fit in the morning you're drinking too much caffeine or at the end of the night you're drinking way too much alcohol to be that hammered that you fall asleep so you just start the downward spiral so yeah it started with sleeping issues and um yeah from there just added up there's been studies uh, that i've well, I stumbled across in the early days, but I've spent more time looking at now, which is that mental health has a direct impact on your REM, so your um, where you get the rapid eye yeah. movement. That that period of your sleep is not restful sleep. That's your body or your brain's way of uh, assimilating the information over the course of the day. And yeah. what happens, certainly in the case of depression, is that REM period increases. So you end up mm -hmm. in a with sleep, you obviously go through REM, then you go through deep sleep, and then you go back into REM again. But REM should only be like, yeah. I think it's 20 or 30% of your your overall sleep. But when you're- Yeah, it is. Yeah, when you're depressed or when you know, you're know you suffering from um, a particular, I think there is just predominantly depression, but I'm sure that other mental illnesses have a knock-on effect with it as well. That REM period actually increases because your brain's trying to constantly work. So you never feel rested yeah. and it's like a, it's a, it's exactly cycle. exactly this is what's happening even if you have nine hours of sleep you're waking up in the morning and you're literally feeling like a truck run you over because you're not rested because your body and your brain is processing everything so yes yeah, so as i say that was the first one for me and from there um it, it was textbook <laughs> like what i know those days everything that came after that was textbook like i got the very thin-skinned I was I started being very very moody um, followed by uh, having trouble with with concentration for a longer time to a task because I was just shaky all day and um, yeah so I, I will never forget the day when I had my first panic attack because that was like whoa <laughs> that was an event <laughs> one I don't want to share anymore um, but yeah and from there, as I said, after I had the first panic attack, it just took a couple of weeks to the complete breakdown. 
Um, but uh, what I've also learned is um, because I had the breakdown after I actually changed a couple of situations in my life. But um, yeah, what I've learned is that um, your body is an amazing thing and it can actually hold up for a very, very long time. So my body waited until I've changed everything and the body sort of knew, okay, now I can crash because before it was not possible. Um, so after I changed a couple of things, I changed my workplace. I was at an amazing place where people took care of me and um, there was close to zero pressure and everyone was happy and I was happy. That's when I had my breakdown. Because your body wasn't running on, uh, in, you know, on all those... Uh, well, Fight or flight mode. <laughs> yeah, stress, stress yeah. almost. You know, you weren't constantly running yeah. on adrenaline. Um, and yeah. then that's when your guard guard drops because your body suddenly relaxes and yeah it's and uh, then it realized that the whole um the whole balance of hormones in your brain is already completely fucked up so yes that's uh, when it happened it's like when you take a holiday isn't it you take a holiday and you come back with a cold or, yes. flu or something and you're like why on this... how has that how has that happened and then this is why many people are actually getting sick right before they go on vacation, because many people there, there is even a name for the, for that um, kind of thing. People get holiday sick, like when, because you're that excited that you're finally going on vacation. And most people are really stressed out before they are leaving for a vacation because they feel these, this, this, uh, kind of edge like oh I have to hand over this and I have to take care of this and this and this and this and this so they are stressing out so what happens very often is the day before you are boarding your flight this is when you get sick because then your body knows cool vacation now it's time yeah your immune <laughs> system drops and everything it's uh you yes know, it just shows the importance of not running your body on that adrenaline for long periods of time and, and giving yourself those down times so that it can yeah work just relax what sort of things and um since that period of time obviously you've had like a, a complete change of how you look at you know your well-being and mental health what sort of things have you implemented now Ooh, that yeah that improves um, it and keeps it maintained yeah, so the things I have implemented, and that is the things, um, I mean, it's it's the same things that all of us usually know or should know, and that is the things that are also, um, some of them I recommend to others, some don't. So the things that I do is, of course, I uh, look a lot um, at my sleeping quality. So I actually started also to track my sleep. I got one of those little... Uh, tracking devices um, to learn more about when I have a good sleep and when I don't have a good sleep. And I'm actually writing a little diary to figure out what are uh, the factors that provide to a good sleep. Um, I am looking a lot to what I eat. There comes in quite handy that I'm a nutritionist. Um, yeah, I don't drink that much alcohol anymore. I mean, of course, I have my occasional glass of wine, but that is it. I'm, the, I mean, the days are over when I'm getting, when I'm laying under the table or dancing on the bar. Um, yeah, seriously. I mean, I'm not lying. I've been there. I've done that plenty of times, um, but I don't need it anymore. Um, I am looking a lot about um, physical activity. So 
for me, I, I love practicing yoga. That works quite well for me, but I've actually done that nearly half of my life. Um, so I know it's not typical for chefs, but I quite love it. Um, I am going for running and even if I have a bad day, I force myself to leave the house for at least half an hour, an hour, even if it's just going, I don't know, for running errands or something, leave the damn house. Just um, especially those times when you're stuck into your house because everyone has to constantly quarantine 24 seven, or at least uh, it feels like that. I am forcing myself to leave the house at least once a day. So yeah, it comes down to look what you eat, have some sort of physical activity, look after your sleep, don't drink too much alcohol and um, try to find at least one person around you that you trust and that you can talk to. And even if it's just a WhatsApp where you can send, man, I'm feeling very shitty today. You know, when, when you can just leave the verbal rant, just get it out of your system. Sometimes it helps just to curse very loud for like five minutes. <laughs> but yeah. don't shout at other people. Um, yeah, but as I say, it's, it's, it's basic things. But when you add them into one calculation, it's actually, it, it sums up. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just a single thing. You can't decide, you know, you can't go for a walk for 20 minutes and once a week and decide that that's going to sort sort you out. You know, it is. No, definitely not. Combination Plus practice. another thing that, and, and that is one thing that is also very stigmatized and many people um, try to avoid that. Um, be honest with yourself of um, what might be wrong in your life. Because there's always something going on that is not ideal. And some of the things you actually can change. So if something annoys you or bothers you, um, look at it and, and try to find a different perspective or um, talk to someone else about, okay, that, that, that is bothering me right now. It's not working or running the way it's supposed to, or it's just annoying me. Um, so when you have something in your life that um, provides constant negative energy, man, you have to change it. You have to get rid of it. Uh, if it's ending a relationship or just throwing out that pair of shoes that doesn't fit anymore or cleaning out your wardrobe and, and it, it can be little things, but if something bothering you, bothers you, um, try to find a way to change it. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, because your body's, constant. it's your body's way though, isn't it? It's your body's way of We'll come on to gut because I'm I'm interested to talk to you. But gut instinct plays a you know plays a yes. big part. And if your body listen to your guts, yeah, <laughs> your guts usually know the truth. That is something many people don't know um, because the guts are actually like they are the USB stick of all your experiences. So your guts usually tell the truth, versus your brain is rationally functioning and is trying to argue reasons like in a rational way so your guts are usually telling the truth is it something about nerve endings and just the evolution of your gut is so it's the only thing that hasn't been impacted other than diet it hasn't been impacted by modern day so it doesn't have the influences of social media and driving exactly and all of these other things it is it it performs I mean, and also this is 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut as well. So it's, it is your second, <laughs> second brain. Not many people know that. Thank you for pointing that out. Not many people know that. 
Many people think, oh, serotonin, so I just have to eat chocolate and be happy. No, just listen to your damn guts. Keep them healthy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a car. I mean, one of the things that we train colleges about is that when you run a car, you don't run it on the chip fat oils straight out of the uh, out of the fryer because it's going to cut exactly flutter you know it needs to be it's if going, you're going to, to run bio you need to refine it and yeah. run it smooth there's nothing wrong with having your occasional fisher chips and there's nothing wrong with putting a shit ton of cheese on your on onto your lasagna seriously nothing wrong with it just don't do it every day so what is the, what is the key? Because I'm very interested in nutrition. It's my interest is growing weekly when I'm looking at it. What's the key to, to introducing some simple changes into diet that will actually help boost our mind and body? Um, <laughs> oh, that that is like the holy grail of all questions. It's like salt and pepper before or after searing. It's um, you can ask a hundred people and you will get a hundred different answers. Um, but here's my um, point of view, and that is actually the concept because I have started to um, yeah consult people on on food and nutritioning and work as a food coach again because it's the only thing I can do right now. So my experience is that you are doing good when you reduce your amount of carbs. Um, don't completely forbid them. Never ever forbid. I, I never forbid anything in, in the diet. I never say to people, you, you are not allowed to eat that and that and that and that, by the way, is evil too. I encourage them to just make tiny little smart changes. Like, as I say, reduce your amount of carbs a little bit. Don't base your whole diet onto carbs. Um, because what happens when your body processes carbs, it um, changes them to sugar. And what we all know is it's not the fat that is actually bad for your body. It's the sugar that is bad for your body. Um, so, yeah, I usually work well with, um, for me personally, something between 30 and 40% of carbs a day and a mixture of fat and protein. And I personally have eliminated, has, have eliminated um, sugar out of my life. Um, in terms of uh, refined sugar or industrial sugar, like I still eat fruit and um, I swapped um, the sugar in my first coffee in the morning with um, a mixture of erythritol and coconut blossom sugar. Um, but I still eat my piece of cake occasionally or have a chocolate bar. I don't forbid it. I just, as I say, I, I swap certain things and encourage to just watch a healthy diet with a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruit, fish, meat is also okay. I would never tell anyone, hey, go vegan. Um, there's nothing wrong with eating vegan. I'm, I'm eating vegan and vegetarian at least two or three days a week. Um, yeah, just have a, have a healthy balance in everything. And yeah, as I say, reduce sugar or if you're strong enough, even eliminate it out of your life and, um, yeah, lower the carbs. It does have a massive, so the, the sugar crash that you get from eating carbs, because that's what, oh, you know, that's what a lot of people look at. When you go, have the food coma after a bowl of pasta, that is a sugar crash. Yeah. 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 Your body's just is using up so much energy to try and, yes. to try and process it. And then if you're not, you know, if you're running a sedentary lifestyle as well, if you're not doing a great deal, certainly at this moment in time, 
then it just turns to sugar, which turns obviously glucose, which doesn't get used. And then that glucose turns to yes, fat. Exactly. And all of a sudden, then your your physical fitness is and your mental fitness is having a, a complete. Yeah. You know, so what, what I always do is um, actually when I when I get a new client, I actually um, take them grocery shopping. I go with them to a supermarket. I tell them, bring your like what is a typical like a weekly grocery shopping round and then I walk through the supermarket and show them how they can swap products like especially those days I still love my carbonara seriously <laughs> I have it at least twice a month I love carbonara but I swap my pasta to um, a pasta that is made of chickpeas because the amount of carbs is less than half of what you have in a usual like wheat pasta mm. Definitely. And it is that easy. Just swap it. It it's it still tastes like pasta. It looks like pasta, um, but yeah, it's not such a high amount of of uh, of, of wheat and carbs. And um, in the result, we all know that legumes are are quite good for your body. Definitely, definitely. Because it's fiber, and fiber is something that many people don't know how important fiber is for your gut health. <laughs> yeah. Man, well, we've closed that circle. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's, you know, uh, Adam Simmons, um, who's another ambassador of mine, he he and I have sort of touched upon the subject of nutrition and we're both quite invested into learning more about it because whilst, again, it's not a magic pill that's suddenly going to cure you of mental mental illness or, that, you know, it's going to make you physically um, massively fit straight away, it, it all plays a major part, like a much bigger part than perhaps yeah it's it's like a mobile you you have to have those five or six little um little objects and they all have to be well balanced because otherwise the mobile will fall off or yeah. tip over definitely, definitely but yeah um, um and we are, i'm we happy to give you more impact into that part if you want to we can have that conversation another time but i'm happy to provide a lot of impact in terms of nutrition 100 percent. so i don't know i mean i launched the um well by the time this goes out the burnt chef academies probably will be launched um but part of that it's going to have modules on there and there's going to be modules about how to look after your own mental health and well-being but nutrition is going to play a part in that so be consider yourself hired for uh for content development development because <laughs> we need more let modules. me know what you need <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to provide content <laughs> perfect it is at the end it, it it's it's one of my areas of expertise all of this gluten-free sugar-free dairy-free whatever you want to name it without also putting a stigma onto it it's it's what i've done for many years <laughs> yeah well it's it's we're so far removed from the animals that we were created or we evolved to be depending on your point of view like thirty-six thousand years ago you know we're we're we live in a culture where everything's it's preserved and high in sugar to make it taste nice or appeal to our taste buds when in fact actually we need to get back to basics a little bit and you know like yeah, something I mean, as simple as pouring a bowl of muesli i poured a bowl of muesli the other day and weighed it so i weighed to see how much and but the bowl was significantly smaller than i would usually have and it came in at 60 grams and then i looked in the back of the pack and it said recommended daily in like daily serving amount was 30 40, 30 to 45 <laughs> grams and i was like great so i've been eating 100 grams of muesli a day didn't really probably need that much in order to survive no wonder i'm putting on pounds you know yeah that's uh something i'm, I'm also encouraging people like um track your 
track your daily intake just for like one or two weeks because many people those days um they don't even know how much they need or or many people don't even know how how a pear actually tastes um yeah people have to start learning again about their bodies and how they work and um, how they can actually um, support their own body um, without going on a very uh, straight and nearly dogmatic uh, diet. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do the uh, no sugar, no carb thing um, for being healthy. It's actually not that highly recommended to do that, to be quite honest. But yeah, many people still think that's all you have to do. The concept is incredibly simple, isn't it? Work out what calories you burn during the course of the day and then eat less than you burn. And and you don't have yeah. to do that. You don't have to live on like a bowl of bowl of rice a day. You can still eat normally, just make your small portion size. Use a smaller plate so the plate looks fuller. You know, like and that concept is just mind blowing for me. <laughs> you have actually just given me a brilliant idea because I think it's the same with mental health. Don't take on more than you can literally eat if you put up too much onto your plate you will end up just depressed because there's a lot of things left over at the end of the day in terms of tasks or things you wanted to do and it's the same with food like when you put up too much you're ended up stuffed and not satisfied and it's the same with mental health don't take on too much and only take on the stuff that is good for you see that's gonna have to be like a little sound bite and i think we're gonna to have to put that up on a quote as well so when your episode goes live i think that's class you <laughs> your mental well-being as also as you view physical if you're gonna to eat too much you're gonna feel shit <laughs> i think that's seriously class. I, it just popped into my brain and i think it's something that many people can relate to because everyone knows that feeling when you have a huge like when you're at a wedding reception and you tend to overfill your plate because just all of the stuff is there and half of it you don't even like you're ending up with a plate you're not satisfied with and it's yeah you can put that onto life as well if i put up a huge pile of shit on my plate then i'm never never going to be satisfied and yeah <laughs> nailed it yeah nailed it um thank me for my brilliance <laughs> <laughs> that's why we've got you on board thank you very much yeah so talk to Being me humble is not one of my strengths <laughs> No, I mean humility is something that I've had to uh, had to had to learn. I was always quite bash bashful. Um, I think it's also important to sometimes just pat yourself on your shoulder. It's it's really important. You don't have you don't have to be you don't have to be an arrogant ass. But um, if you have finished something during the day, just pat yourself on the back because you've finished a task, even if it's something. Just doing your laundry. I mean, I'm I'm celebrating myself all the time. I do it because I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, cool. I did it. Yeah, good job. Well done. <laughs> and then yeah. it mounts up again, and you go, <laughs> oh bollocks. Mm. Never mind. But um... <laughs> yeah, sorry. You wanted to ask me something. <laughs> no, I think our conversation could go on for a while, but I'm, I'm you know, yeah. certainly my attention span for podcasts probably doesn't last last as as long as um these do and i'm i'm, I'm pleased that the podcast is getting a good response but i don't want to go taking the piss so 
I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> last thing we want to know is just being natter boxes and, and end up with a six hour long podcast each time. Like, like, no, is it Josh, no. Ro- Josh Rogan? He has, he has like two or three hour long podcasts. Joe Rogan. Yes. Joe Rogan. Joe, Joe Rogan. Yeah. But, but I, I have to be honest because I'm listening to him quite a lot. It really depends on who's in front of the microphone and the kind of story they are telling and the way they are telling it. Some podcasts are three hours and it feels like nothing it just t- literally time flies by and uh, some of them I'm fading out so it all depends on who's there and how are they talking and what are they telling mm. well this uh yeah I appreciate anyone that's listening and any new followers as well and I think one of the one of the questions to try and keep a consistent structure that I ask all of my guests and I'm going to ask yes you surprise surprise is oh wow <laughs> if you were to travel back in time and give some advice to like an 18 year old version of yourself or like even just some some nuggets of information some gems of wisdom what would you say to yourself that is a good one i actually might have to think about that <laughs> okay i don't want to think where i was when i was 18 <laughs> um I probably would say something very, yeah, it's actually two things I would give out as advice. The first thing is the most important thing, and that's what I said earlier, the quote uh, from Australia, it's okay not to be okay. Um, Sometimes you just feel shitty, but that is how life is. Everyone can have a bad day. Just don't let the bad days become a habit. And the other one is, and that is actually something I just posted on Instagram this morning, you can be a nice person with a huge nice heart, but it's okay to say or tell someone to shut the fuck off sometimes. And that is something I would transport to life and bad situations. It is okay to just fuck off someone or, yeah, look after yourself because that is what it is about when you tell someone to just go away even if it's a situation, a problem, or an actual person, that is the first step of taking care of yourself. So that is probably the two things I would tell anyone, like, it's okay not to be okay. And it is also okay to sometimes just send something out of your way in whatever the way might be. The rest will come because many people those days are so afraid and are, (laughs) especially you Brits are so polite. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you can't argue with that. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's okay to sometimes just tell someone who has banned influence in your life to. Yeah, I don't want to say it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it's a good. Just it's, back off. It is a good point. We do have a capacity for not wanting to come across rude. And I think also, I don't know whether or not it's an underlying thing of we wanting to be liked. I mean, it certainly was for me, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was so afraid of saying boo to, to anyone or, or voicing my opinion for the fact that I might not have been liked. And I was managing people. So you, can you imagine, like, as a manager, I was very, you know, at that particular time, I was very agreeable. You don't want to do that? Yeah. No, okay, all right, fair enough. I, I can imagine, but luckily, that is one thing that is... Um... <laughs> Let, let's say it's something people um, always told me. I, I wasn't one of those people of a zero fucks given, but I never 
ever um, was, how to say it in a polite way, I never gave that much fuck about other people's opinion about me when I was running something or I was never that polite in terms of I don't like you you are not good for me and I don't want to have you around me um, I always was quite blunt uh, in telling the honest truth into others people's faces <laughs> which is not typical German but um, yeah that's how I always was well I think there's providing it's not done in a, an aggressive or hurtful manner I think that that's an important this is an important life lesson, isn't it, really? You need to, sometimes you exactly. need to for number one in self-preservation and providing you're not doing it at the detriment of other people. Exactly. And when you're only surrounded by assholes, I mean, how, how, how can you look after yourself when you're only surrounded by bad people? Mm. This is back to the 18-year-old uh, uh, advice. <laughs> Take care of yourself and send the bad people or the bad experiences away. Very good. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. And <laughs> before we uh, before we draw this this episode to uh, close, is there anything in particular any that you wanted to touch upon? Anything? Probably like to add is, and that is something I would highly encourage uh, all of my other chef colleagues out there. Um, encourage your staff um, to talk about everything, literally everything. I mean the if they don't want to talk about their relationship problems that okay but uh, when anything annoys them or or doesn't make them happy at work it's usually tiny little things that can easily be fixed but when they're scared of you it doesn't help anyone mm, very good point b thank you very much you're welcome more than welcome it was my pleasure i'll see you soon i see you soon so that was another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. Really hope you that you enjoyed this week's episode. As normal, we'll be back with you next week. But if in the meantime you wanted to head over to our website and support the Burnt Chef Project, you can do so by visiting www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll find a whole host of resources and merchandise and the profits of sales go directly back into funding our ongoing work. In addition, if you or anyone that you know might be having difficulties with their mental health at this time, please do use the Burnt Chef support service. Just text Burnt Chef to 85258 and we'll have a trained advisor text you back within five minutes. Thank you and we'll see you again soon.